welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Kate Copsey. Those of you who are longtime listeners know that Kate was the host of this show for many, many years before leaving to do some other things. And she's going to give us a progress report, and we'll talk about her garden grew this year, and we're going to share some really exciting news. Welcome, Kate. Well, thank you very much, Daryl. It's a pleasure to be back. I, I just love the radio show that you do now. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, you know it's been uh, a, f- a fun couple of couple of months, particularly uh, in the garden. I think we finally had our first frost. So, and although it wasn't a, a really bad frost, you know, you don't see the white on the um, the the grass or anything like that. But it uh, it's killed the tomatoes. So we're at the end of the season. Um, so that's kind of uh, an update on my my veggie patch. Are you happy or sad to see it be the end of the season? I think it's mixed blessings. Um, You know, you love all the the fresh produce. And we started because uh, spring was so cold and damp and long, a kind of a hangover from winter. And my peas got in and they did so well. I think I was harvesting them the beginning of May. And I've had continual harvest of peas and then beans and then tomatoes and squash. I planted too much squash, but then I don't think I'm the only one. Um, and, you know, it, so it just kind of, it was just this last, uh, I think it was just this last last week. We had that, that cold trough that, that wandered through. And I no- noticed this morning that all the tomato vines are dead, the bean vines are dead, the squash are dead, but the raspberries are hanging on. I'm still getting fall raspberries. It's a, a, a variety called Heritage, and they have been fabulous this last uh, month, six weeks. Heritage is one of my favorites, too, and I grow it both for a spring and fall crop. I have a couple that I cut down right after harvest and a couple that I let grow, and then they harvest, um, harvest in the spring. So then you can get spring and fall from your heritage if you feed it enough. They are pretty heavy feeders if you treat them that way. Yeah, well, this this was their first year, so they were bare root in the spring. So, you know, that, that kind of alters things just a little bit, you know, on, on brand new gardens. You, you can't really expect too much from them. Uh, so, so hopefully by next spring they'll have settled enough and I'll be getting that spring one as well. Well, that's good. Um, do you have any problem with cane borers up in your location? Well, again, as I say, this is the first year, uh, and I didn't haven't noticed anything yet. Uh, but there is time to tell. <laughs> and and, and they're, they're being in a natural woodland area, that, and sort of reclaiming it from a very overgrown uh, weed patch and dead trees and vines and things like that, and then a good good couple of um, yards of. Horse composted horse manure. Uh, This was a very new garden, so um, nothing was around. I don't think in the years before that would have sort of been over in the soil or anything like that. So you know, say time will tell. I mean, (laughs) the first year you can get lucky, and then it's the years after that. It depends on how you clear up. I think in the fall to make sure that you don't continue something into the soil. I think you're right there. Mine had cane borers, but the cane borers, I think, came with the plant um, this year, and I just wasn't very careful when I planted it to inspect them. Um, And that's a good tip for people, just to make sure that when the plants do arrive, make sure that you don't have any funky-looking spots on them. And this spring was just so busy for us that I just went, you know, this winter that the plants came and 
um, just went right into the ground without any, without really taking much look at them. And so you've got good raspberries going. What are, what other fruits are you growing? Well, again, it, it's the first year, so the little trees and things. Uh, you know, I've got apples and peaches and cherries. I think out there. I'm trying a couple of the little colonnade. Uh, apples, which should be fun. Uh, they, they had, I think one of them had a bloom. I think somehow I managed to get two of the same variety. And even with colonnade ones, unless you've got a double graft, you really need to get that second variety. So my shopping list is already growing way too long, but that's on it, so that you get that pollination right. I've looked at the colonnade, and I wondered how they would do down in our climate here in Georgia. I know, of course, New Jersey has very often has much better growing conditions than we do here. Um, but yeah, I say that, but I, I remember when we lived in New Jersey how hot and humid a lot of the summers were. Well, I think we got lucky last year because the temperatures weren't that hot. The humidity, I didn't find, was anything like it we were used to in the Midwest or the South. So to me, this is a, a great climate because it's, it gets cold enough in winter to be able to give enough chill factors to things like rhubarb and French tarragon. But it's also south enough that you can get some of those southern things like um, crepe myrtles and gardenias as well. So to me, it's just on that that little tiny uh, area that uh, you really can't replicate it, I don't think, anywhere else. It's beautiful. I think you're right. Um, middle and south, southern parts of New Jersey with the lush sandy soil and the moderating temperatures from the ocean um, have some wonderful growing conditions, and of course they were the that was the area that what was feeding the nation for quite a number of years, and it certainly fed the canning factories, all the tomatoes that were grown specifically for canning, and all the fruits that went into New York City and from there to the rest of the country by train. Um, it was a lush country. I remember when we still when we lived there, there were apple orchards and cherry orchards and. Uh, even peach orchards, which, which surprised me. Do you still have any of that around, or has that all been bulldozed? I think we have some apple orchards. I haven't noticed cherries or peach ones. But, you know, I mean, even up in uh, Michigan, there are they're able to grow peaches up there. The problem with peaches too often is that you get that mild spell Mm-hmm. In in March April time when they want to put the bloom out, but then you still can get down down into the the low thirties, even the upper twenties, which kills the bloom more often than not. So I think you know in the south it tends to be a little more stable in spring. Well, it, here where we are, um, I planted I planted peaches that took a little bit had needed a few more chill hours than. Some of them did, so they would hold off in when so that when we had these really crazy springs, they wouldn't pop out into bloom and and then bloom and then get frozen. Um, I know that down in South Georgia, they have to have low chill hour peaches because otherwise you know there isn't enough cold weather to get a crop most years, and they've had a couple of really bad springs as our weather has been very variable in the last five or ten years. <laughs> yeah, ju- just when you think you know how to garden, na- nature just throws one of those um, curveballs at you as far, far as a, a really warm spring with a cold follow-up or a cold spring that goes on forever. Um, you, you can, no two years are the same. 
And this year was certainly a long, cold winter and spring for much of the East and Midwest. Oh, yes. I I couldn't get over how long winter went on here. Oh, yes. And, you know, and it was just kind of one of those things, I think, when, um, you know, the, the, the winter went on for so long and then the spring went on. I mean, I wouldn't have normally we have our last frost, the I think it's the 15th of May. There was no way I was going to put a tomato plant in on the 15th of May. Um, it was it was almost Memorial Day before I felt the ground was warm enough and things had settled. Now, I, I did put the, the beans in beginning of May, but as I said, we had that long um, spring and my peas were producing all the way through till the end of May and my – no, the – the end of June, I'm sorry, and my beans started producing the the beginning of July. So I had two weeks where I had fresh beans and fresh peas for the same dinner table. How wonderful. Yes. Absolutely wonderful. Now, that's interesting that you said that your last frost date now is May 15th. When I lived up in New Jersey, our last frost was way closer to Memorial Day. And, you know, even though it was like the week before Memorial Day, our soil was never really reliably or rarely reliably warm until Memorial Day weekend. So we would target that for planting our tomatoes and peppers. So I'm surprised to hear how much the climate has changed. But you were saying that you just got your first frost now, too. And I remember when we used to get our first frost, um, the beginning of October, maybe by the 10th. And certainly everything was dead, dead, dead by Halloween, Yes, and I think we we typically have a, a first frost around the middle of October. Now we had just a a, a real light um, frost. I think it wasn't something that you again you could see on the ground, and it didn't kill the tomatoes or the um, or the squash. There was one Oriental bean that I was growing that no, it was a squash um, that got zapped by it. Uh, but that really was the the only one. And then just this last week, we had another cool night where it was down technically to about twenty nine, which should be cold enough so my my tomatoes have now gone and the squash have gone because it just got cold enough but heck we're we're in november um (laughs) again i don't i don't think you could i mean i was still harvesting tomatoes last week which was halloween i was harvesting tomatoes still amazing i picked the last few tomatoes last week and i found a bunch of beans that um i had given them up because the bean beetles had been so bad and I killed off the bean beetles and I got busy doing other things and I didn't get the plants yanked up and a week or so ago I was out in the garden and I was looking around you know for things to clean up and I said oh well isn't that surprising I had these lovely jade colored green beans hanging just dripping from the bush bean plants oh, so wow. we had beans for dinner that was nice oh and those surprises are great um and i had one actually um about a week ago i found, found um one of those large squashes that suddenly had you know i i thought that I've, I've had a lot that with the cooler temperatures typical of squash although they pollinate and they start growing they kind of get that misshapen form they don't fully develop because the pollination hasn't 
hasn't been quite as good as it should have been. So I just kind of, I hadn't been watching the squash at all. And clearly some somebody found a, a, the right pollination count. And, and there, there we were, a couple of big, healthy, well, almost marrow size uh, squash, which were great. Um, and they'd grown quite happily under the leaves, totally without my care um, and totally without any borers or anything to to bother them. Now, for people that aren't from England, tell people what a marrow is. Well, I think there's a bit of an overlap with normal zucchini, which are usually about, what, six to eight inches um, long and maybe an inch and a half, two inches tops in, in uh-huh. width. Well, a marrow is a much larger one. Uh, maybe you're talking a foot to 18 inches and probably four or five inches in uh, diameter. So they're much bigger and you typically take the seeds out uh, of the of the marrow before you cook it and you can fry it all, all the same ways that you could do zucchini. And some of them, um, particularly in England, they have a I think there might be different varieties that are better when they're grown. And I believe one of the ones I was growing might have been that because it didn't feel like it was ready to come off when it was that typical zucchini size. And it was an heirloom and I didn't really take a note of um, what it was and, and what its maturity size was. But I think that might have been one of the ones that uh, was probably destined to be a lot bigger. We'll have to take a little break right now. But I just want to let you know that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we will be back right after this break. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Kate Copsey, and right before the break, we were talking about her giant squashes that she found under a leaf. What are you going to do with those, Kate? Well, I think typically they're used in the same way as you would do the little zucchinis. But as I say, you, you slice them lengthwise and or to get the seeds out, or you can do it widthwise and just take the seeds out. And if you do it Lengthwise, you typically, I think, uh, you take the skin off because it, at that stage they tend to be a little firmer, and and you just chop it up and you would use it, put it in a roasting pan with some herbs or something like that, like you would a regular zucchini. Um, if you do it in um, ovals, you again take take the seeds out of the middle and you can fill that with maybe a um, a spaghetti type mix, a meat mix or tomato mix and either put breadcrumbs or cheese or something like that over the top to give it a bit of a crust and then you, you stick that in the oven uh, and cook it that way. Have you ever made zucchini boats? 
taking those giant zucchinis and you leave the skin on, you cut them in half lengthwise, as you mentioned, and you take out the seeds. But then you use those to hold all the goodies, and you can stuff them with a mixture of tomato sauce and sausage and herbs and stuff like that. And then you throw it into the oven to bake until the zucchini itself is tender. And then just before you're ready to serve, if you want to, you can take it out and either put a crumb crust over it, or our favorite, of course, is putting cheese on top. <laughs> no, I haven't done, done that, actually, as you say, the boat variety. I think usually we cu- I cut it into, um, into ovals because, to be honest, the family aren't that keen on, on it. Uh, so, so they prefer for as little squash on the outside and as much mixture on the inside, <laughs> well, <laughs> or preferably what... on the side. <laughs> That's why stuffing them works so well because, of course, the, you know, if you've got one of the really big zucchinis. There isn't very much actual squash meat on it. You know, most of the most of it is seed cavity, but then the skin offers and makes it a nice boat. And I've had even people that swear they're not going to eat zucchini eat it just because it was a novel idea. Oh yes, and and actually we we had one of my husband's uh, people from work over for dinner, and uh, this this guy um, w- was kind of in the middle of relocation, so we had him over for din- dinner, and I we did a steak, and on the side I'd got um, I'd got some small zucchini that I that I chopped, uh, some potatoes that I'd put into probably quarter inch. Um, cubes as well uh, and I put the, the potatoes in first and then, then added the onions which were just sliced up type of thing and then fi- finally added the squash and some little uh, cherry tomatoes and it was all kind of in there roasting with some herbs and things like that for about, well the potatoes were about 40 minutes maybe the other two about 15 minutes and, and when you put that out on a, a plate or, or in a dish it's so colourful and he, he told his wife about this, and she said, and you ate that? And he said, yes. He said, you don't like vegetables. <laughs> okay, score one for the fresh veg. <laughs> yeah. That, that's kind of like my husband. My husband does not like eggplant. And I grew up eating eggplant because it was one of my mother's favorites. And while I don't like the big Italian eggplants, I do like the little Asian eggplants, and some of them, like Farmer's Long, are so very colorful. You know, that's the long purple one. Um, And how I got my husband to eat uh, eggplant was I would marinate the egg, I'd slice the eggplant in half and marinate it in some onions, and I'd also slice up some peppers, marinate all that, and throw them on the grill. And he decided that that was okay, you know, that he was going to, willing to eat eggplant that way. And I think that that would be a, a great way of uh, producing it because if you put things on a grill, they they do taste that little bit different. I mean, moussakas and things like that um, are another popular way of using, particularly the bigger ones where you kind of you bake them again with a meaty type sauce and things like that, um, or, or a cheese sauce. You can do those vegetarian, of course. Um, but there, there, again, there, there are, as you say, some beautiful colors. I mean, some of them are the deep, almost black color, and you get at the other extreme almost a lavender color of some of the smaller ones. Yeah, and some are some are almost white, which I, that, that always has kind of bothered me, but, you know, to each its own. It's kind of like purple potatoes. <laughs> you know, it's an acquired, your eye wants to look at the purple potato and say, ew, but if you're not looking at them, they're really pretty good. 
Yeah, and maybe that's like the carrots as well, where you can get different colours in carrots, and they, those go almost to the purple range too. Does your family eat purple carrots? Uh, I grew a multi-coloured mix this year, um, and actually, I don't think they did awfully well. Um, you know, I'm still trying to find where they were. <laughs> oh, okay. But, um, but one one of the the real classic disasters that I did this year, which was thinking of it, why in the world did you do that? Um, I'd got, you know, all all the um, tomatoes and the peppers and they were all allocated one bed, which was fine because they they, they talked to each other nicely. And I'd put all the little, you know, these things are what, four or five inches tall when you put, put them in and they were all happy for a couple of weeks. And then what happens? The tomatoes grow bigger than the peppers uh-huh. and they just kept growing and growing and growing and the peppers stopped growing and growing because they weren't getting any sunlight the tomatoes were on the south and, uh-huh. and these poor little things didn't see sun for about three months well and that's a lesson for all new gardeners out there that are listening make sure you put the tall plants on the north side Oh, yes. Um, Unless you're trying to shade lettuce in the middle of the summer or something like that. Yes, and even if they do all start out the same size. (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of like children, I think. Yeah. Some children are going to be growing very tall and and other children not. But at least with vegetables, you have a hint of how big they're going to get. Yes, and I I think, again, because it was slightly cooler temperatures, the tomatoes can cope and grow quite well with cooler temperatures, so long as it's not too cold. The peppers really need those 75, 80-degree days um, to really thrive and do well. And So that was another reason why the tomatoes grew that much faster than the peppers right at the start. You know, I've noticed, though, that, yes, that's true. At the beginning of the season, peppers are really slow to start if it's cold. But towards the end of the season, I found that I've got peppers out there now that are still looking fine. And the tomatoes are mush because we finally had our first freeze this week, too. Oh, Yes, and I know that happens with, with some of the beans. Um, you know, I, I think particularly the scarlet runner beans, which again, because we had moderate temperatures, they did fabulously all summer for me. Uh, usually when you get, when you get the 90 degree days and things like that, mm-hmm. they, they peter out. And then when the days cool down a little bit, that's when they start uh, producing again. So th- those were the beginning of the season, the end of the season, and the true American and French beans, the pole beans and things like that, and the, the blue lakes and things like that. Th- those take, sort of take the, the heat, I think, a lot better than yeah. the um, European um, red beans and scarlet runners and things like that. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you look how, how cool Europe is compared to most of our area, especially your home country. Oh, it's surrounded by water, and it's a fairly small land mass. And you've got the Gulf Stream going up there and moderating the temperature. So you have milder, much milder winters than we do and mild summers. Yes, and and in fact, that's something I'm still trying to figure out because we are quite close to the ocean, how much effect that has because typically our weather is coming from New York City and Central Park or Philadelphia. Well, we're we're just sort of 15 miles from the coast. How how much is that affecting my weather and moderating it? Uh, on one summer, it's a little difficult to tell. So I'm I'm still learning that part. 
And a lot of it will depend on the ocean temperatures, too. I remember when we lived in New Jersey, whenever there was an east wind blowing in the springtime, it would stay chilly for a really, really long time. And, <laughs> and if you have that this spring, um, you may find that also because the ocean temperatures are so cool. And likewise, in the fall, if you get easterly winds, since the ocean is warmer, it moderates it. On the other hand, when you get a big blast like we did, you know, that came right straight out of Canada at us this last week, you know, being next to the ocean doesn't help you even a little bit. <laughs> no, when it when it's com coming across from the the as you say from the Arctic or something like that, which I mean, I don't don't think that there was um, a word in the vocabulary called Arctic vortex until last winter. <laughs> Well, there was, but you didn't hear it very much. And by the way, that reminds me, I don't know when you were down here in Georgia whether you listened to Kirk Mellish, who I think is one of the finest weather people in the country. Um, he, he, the Earlier this year, the National Weather Service said that we weren't going to get any Arctic vortex, polar vortexes this year. And Kirk Mellish says, Matt, we're setting up. It's already getting getting snow in Siberia, so we're going to be in for it. He said, don't be at all surprised if we get another blast like we did last year. Well, Doesn't I, that make you so happy? Yeah, and I think if, <laughs> if, if, you, if you read the Farmer's Almanac, we're supposed to get a pretty dire winter again anyway. So it, it's always fun, fun when you've got the Almanac versus the, the weather service, uh, see, seeing which one beats out which uh, on an average number of days. Well, it's interesting to me that Kirk Mellish said that he doesn't, he doesn't use the National Weather Service forecast when he's creating his long-term forecast. <laughs> and, um, yes, and, and of course, uh, the, you know, weather is so variable that uh, even, you know, our guys up here, they say, you know, we, we give you a, a seven-day forecast, but really we're, we're, we're good on the first two to three days. Once we get four to five days, it's a bit iffy, and frankly, after that, you know, it, it's kind of up in the air, our best guess. Yeah, kind of a best guess. I, I would say that that's right. Yes. And that's a good lesson for gardeners um, to know that variables in weather are going to make a big different in, difference in your garden. I know a lot of first-time gardeners this year that I talked to were very disappointed because they put their tomatoes in the ground and they didn't do anything because it was so cold and so wet. And they thought that they had done something wrong. Yeah. Or it's not anything that they did. It was just that it was cold and wet and you know that's the kind of thing where if you haven't grown before if nobody's told you before you don't know to wait keep them in a pot pot them into bigger pots uh, before you put them into the ground wait until that soil is really good and warm Yes, and I, and I think um, things like basil do that too. I mean, just because you haven't got a frosty night or, mm -hmm. or sort of really cold nights, 50 degree, 55 degree days and 40 degree nights, it just sits there and sulks. I mean, you know, it's sitting, sitting there, it's not dying as such, but it's not thriving. And, uh, you know, so that, that's kind of a lesson, I think, for a lot of beginners. You know, just because it's frost-free doesn't mean the, the guise of summer are going to thrive. I mean, I, I like to say, don't put your basil in until you stick your foot into the swimming pool and you've got a swimsuit on. If it's warm enough for that, <laughs> it's warm enough for the tomatoes. <laughs> I, I like that. I have a, I have a friend who is a, a hort, horticulture judge in 
for the RHS, and she said, you know that it's safe to plant your tomatoes when you can sit on the garden with your bare bum and you don't freeze. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's supposed to be the test for the soil in spring for you putting your potatoes in. Oh really? For yeah. potatoes too? Okay. Yeah. Well, she takes it. She takes it a step further, and maybe she said when you don't shiver. Um, but uh, it, that that does make sense, and a lot of people would be well put to look for a soil thermometer or at least get used <laughs> to the temperature. Yeah. We're going to have to take a little break right now. I just want to remind you that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we'll be back right after this. Quick stakes. That's. Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Kate Copsey, and we're talking all things gardening today. And right now, it's Kate and I have noticed some interesting things in the way people are getting their gardening information. Kate, tell us what you've seen. Well, I think a lot of people really, I mean, they don't listen to shows, for instance, at a specific time. You know, whether that be on the um, PBS station, which uh, we both know, um, Grow in a Greener World with Joe Lample and all those wonderful folks. But I, I have no idea when that is on or even if it's carried on my station. And, and this radio show, too. Uh, you know, people may be busy on a Saturday morning. Um, so, so that, I think, is, is people are... Uh, well, we're being told anyway, and I think the realistic is uh, is what we're doing. We're, we're watching it on our own time. We're watching it on the computer. Um, may, maybe you download a, sh- a show from P- PBS or whatever. Uh, we're watching it on an. We're listening to the radio on an app. I mean, America's Web Radio has got an app. You just press the app and you get what's on. But if you want the, if you want want. Um, America's homegrown veggies at Tuesday afternoon while you're doing your workout, you can go to the archives and you can pick whatever one you want, which I think is one of the the value things about all this technology. Um, it allow, allows you to listen or watch on your terms or your time, whatever's good for you. And where you are. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be tied to your television. You can be sitting there with your iPad or your Android or something like that and, and watch them right there. 
Yeah, and I and I think it works much better. You get just as many people, I think, watching. But the the big thing is that you've got to get the word out. Uh, you know, it's not in the TV Times any longer. So you've got to go out and find them, which means the social media from those of us on this side, we also have to be aware of promoting shows a little bit more than perhaps we were used to uh, may, maybe 20 years ago when people just used to plug into the TV at that time because they knew their favourite show on, was on at 7 o'clock on Sunday evening. They made sure they were there. Now they're not there. Um, so we, we're having to find different ways maybe of reaching people, which was never a, a factor before. Do you have any particular way that people might go to find that information? Or if just Google is your friend in that case? I think probably Google is probably the number one place, although YouTube is probably the number one searched place. Um, that comes up probably at the top now, whereas it used to be articles. So if you want garden shows, it will come up with um, ones that are based in the YouTube arena rather than um, books in gardening, which is an interesting twist, I think, just probably in the last two years, um, YouTube has come up with um, the numbers in a search more than the written articles, which is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's what I read anyway. <laughs> and, and, we, <laughs> and we believe everything we re read, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have trouble with um, videos because people don't, don't get their point across as fast as my brain thinks. And for me, very often, I'd rather read an article and get it over with than listening to somebody for 45 minutes. But I have noticed that a lot of the new videos are very much shorter than they used to be. Well, that's right. I mean, we're told that modern people only want sort of three, four minutes in um, an, a sort of in a video or something. Uh, so that's why I think you find a lot of the... People that are beginning, um, you know, there's there's lots of short things. You go to, for instance, a tree company. There will be lots of videos there on how to do a tree, what size of tree to have, what choice of tree, where to put tree, and it will all be in short little videos. But those are very different from things like the PBS shows, which are a full half hour. And, and although you can get those on the um, on YouTube and things like that, there are two different types of things being produced out there. And there's far more of the three-minute splurges than there are proper shows, which I think is a bit of a travesty. Well, of course, maybe when we think about the way people get their information, too, maybe it's they only have three minutes while they're standing in line at the grocery store. Maybe that's why things have changed a little bit. Could be, yeah. Um, and people don't have time to do it, uh, you know, to, to stand a half, full half hour of some of these things. But, uh, you know, I, I know there are some great um, innovations in technology um, that have made a lot, lot of this possible. Uh, but who knows where we're going to be in another five years? I mean, that's going to – that's, I think, is also the trick, trying to – read what's going or, or learn what's going to come up in the next couple of years and that's i mean it's a dizzying idea and, and uh, arena that we're in 
It is indeed. And, you know, we have a Facebook page for America's Homegrown Veggie Show. And those of you that are on Facebook, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. If you can just say what, what you do, you like the short videos or do you like the long videos and maybe why you do or what you might like to see. Um, one of the things that I'm very fond of is podcasts, something that I can download and take along with me. And then I can listen to it while I'm, you know, cooking or doing the dishes, and if I have to stop to, you know, do something else, I can just push a button, it stops, and then when I want to listen to it again, uh, I can just turn it back on. That's what I do with this show when I'm looking at the archives and checking and, and seeing if I might want to interview somebody again or what topics that we might do. Yeah. Because that makes it very much more convenient than sitting down glued to one place. Yes, and and if you go on any public transport, you know, everybody's plugged into something because you can get it on phones and things like that. Um, So if you've got a one-hour commute, uh, or it's 90 minutes from where I am on a bus to New York City, you know, you can just plug into something and you could go through archives to find things. You can watch things, but I think most people are, are listening to um, different podcasts and things like that, which I think is phenomenal. I, again, you wouldn't have done that 10 years ago, but now now they can. 10 years ago, um, well, maybe 10 years ago there were podcasts, but hardly anybody that I knew ever listened to them. Um, there was some of the major radio stations did them, but that was that was pretty much it. Now there are just podcasts all over the place, and I think that's a lot of fun. Now, Kate, you mentioned that for other people for learning about gardening – if there's a video game out, or is it a video game or a computer game? What kind of game is it? Well, I think for a, quite a few years, people have been focused on getting children into gardening. And there was this one co- company uh, from, I think it's in Florida, uh, the, the thing is called Gremlins. And uh, the way that that works, you've got, um, you have an interactive it's based, based on kind of elementary children. So you have an interactive um, video game that shows you the carrot characters and the beat characters, whatever. Uh, and it, tell, you, it comes with seeds, so it tells you how to put the seeds in. And it sells come back in a three days or something like that, and you put the, the computer on and this pro, get the program on, and it will say, go look at your carrots they should be coming up from the ground now and then you know if you log in on every day it will tell you what your seeds should be doing and when you should be going out to look for pollinators or when you should be going out to look for the bugs or something like that Um, so it's really an interactive thing for the kids to play a game and then be able to learn how to nurture a plant on the outside as well. And the kit comes with um, the pots and the seeds and basic instructions for adults and the CD to put on the computer. And so it's geared to probably the four to eight-year-old, I think. Uh, but it's great fun. And, uh, you know, and that's one, one way that you can get kids to be enthusiastic about uh, growing vegetables particularly. And what they need. Wow, that's certainly a really a big departure from when I was a kid growing up. I remember my my mother gave me um, a little tiny plot of my own to garden in, and she gave me a tomato plant, and she gave me bean seeds, and and let me plant them. 
and every morning I couldn't wait to run out to the garden and check. She didn't have to prompt me at all. <laughs> but did, did, did you sustain that all the way through to when they started to produce, or did you get oh, yes. bored of it? <laughs> oh, yes, I, absolutely. I had to be out there every morning to find out what was new. And if there was a bug out there, I had dragged my mother out there to tell me what the bug was. <laughs> and when the rabbit came and ate my beans, <laughs> uh, well, I wanted my brother to go and shoot him. <laughs> he didn't, but um, but I learned a very valuable lesson then that you really need, you know, that there are things out there that want to eat your vegetables as much as you do. So, so you really think these kids like games like that? Oh, yes. Um, so I, I think, you know, um, particularly with interactive ones, um, they they do have a tendency to, to maybe minimize the, the bad side of gardening, which I think is, I mean, I've got groundhogs, you know, and, and we've got turkeys. Uh, you know, both of those can be devastating to um, a garden. I mean, a turkey comes and sits and has a little um, mud bath or dust bath in the middle of your vegetable plant. <laughs> you know, it, it it's not that it's eating them, but boy, it's heavy and <laughs> it destroys them. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Thanksgiving's I, coming up now. <laughs> well, well, yes, uh, but but I'm absolutely no. I, I as they say, I couldn't hit the but the broad side of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> so so no, I, I'm not going shooting anything. <laughs> but, oh, that's but but, but well. the the groundhog is definitely a challenge. Um, and if you look at all, all the natural remedies and things like that, none of, they'll do armadillos and they'll do deer and they'll do rabbits, but nothing will do a groundhog. <laughs> they are obstinate little objects. Well, they are obstinate, and they are very habituated. They become habituated to people very quickly. I remember when my sister-in-law were, and I were out in her garden, and the groundhog came waddling up, and and we both ran in to try to chase it away. They just sort of stood up and looked at us like, "What the heck do you want, lady?" <laughs> But there is a way to get rid of keep groundhogs out of your garden, and but you have to bury the bottom of the fence and put it so that it's the fence is the bottom of the fence is towards you, not towards the inside of the garden, so that they can't dig under easily. And then you have to extend the fence up a couple of feet and leave it floppy because when they go to try to climb over it, if it flops back, they don't like that. Yeah, and and, and in fact, that's what we did. Um, I got some two-foot fencing and we stapled it inside uh, one of the, I think it was the bean bed. And that was fine, except he, so he can't climb up, but he is strong enough to push the staples out so sure. he can get in. Um, so we're going to have to rethink that little bit there. Uh, but but at least it was halfway, halfway protected. And in fact, last week I was watching him, and I was u- using it more as a, a learning point because the garden is pretty much gone by now anyway. So so we could see exactly where he was coming in, what his. Um, what his little tracks were, where he was going. Um, he visited the um, the raspberries. It looked like he was trying to maybe some of the raspberry leaves. Um, but then then he went over to the uh, tomato patch and then the green the green bean patch. And then he just kind of wandered out. I mean, he, I mean, bless him. We laughed at him. I've got one of those um, tomato cage supports. The, the Bits are uh, maybe about four inches around, and he tra- climbed through that. And if he'd gone just two foot, 
round the other side. He could have got an, an open entry, but he, he was determined to waddle through this four-inch four hole to, um, to get, get to what he wanted. Well, we have to take a little break right here, but we'll be back talking more gardening in just a few minutes. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's FoodLink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Kate Copsey. And at the beginning of the show, we talked about Kate's got some new announcements and new projects. So we're going to start with that. Kate, you have a, a big announcement about a book, don't you? Well, um, I've got uh, a contract with um, St. Lynn's Press over in uh, Pittsburgh to do a book which should come out. It'll be 2016. Uh, My part of it should be done by early next year, and that's going to be on veggies, an aspect of veggies. Um, So that's very very exciting because, uh, you know, for for a long time I've been thinking about particular aspects of growing. So, uh, And the show, of course, uh, the veggie show was was part of that and seeing how different people grew in different ways. So it's kind of of going to be on a vegetable topic and and it should be great fun. As I say, that that one, my part is going to be finished... uh, I think it's April of next year, and then it goes to press towards the end of that next year for um, the spring for of 2016 to be on the market. So very exciting that, time. That sounds fun. And you said that St. Lynn's Press? Yes. Yeah. That's a nice outfit. Yes, and they've got some great, great garden books. Um, they do indeed. Yes, uh, but both on the um, edible side as well as some of the ornamental ones as well. So it's a nice mix of books that they do. That's great. Yeah. Um, and you were also doing something else that involves television. Tell us about it. Well, the other project I'm doing is more visual-based, more TV-based. Um, and, and we talked uh, earlier in the program about um, growing a greener world and things like that, the PV, PBS-type things and, and YouTube and all that, where people are learning how to do, do gardening. And gardening is such a visual thing. 
that I thought it was important maybe to try try for another garden show that was actually in the the tv realm and i got some folks in uh, long island that were very interested in that we did a promo uh, pbs want the show but they they we still have to fund the the production of it so that's the bit we're working on right now um, so that's very, very exciting um because when you think about it um you know we've got um joe joe's doing a great job down down in the south um nan sturman is over in california southern part of california i think doing some fun things with um her show and uh, shirley bosnoff is also doing things but the sad thing is this is an awfully big country and there are maybe you can count on one hand the number of ma- major um tv shows that are out there trying to educate people and there are very very few that are based on the east coast so i think it's important that you know people say well what can you do in winter well duh there are cold frames that there's in indoor growing there's hydroponics there's greenhouses all those things that you can do in winter in the north so that's about the other part of it you know it's not just uh, let let the green thumb go black while while it's dark outside let's uh, get people doing things so we should have i would like to make it year round we're going to start with probably 13 um episodes of it and have you shot any of those episodes yet? Uh, well, we've just done the first one, um, and that's up on a channel called Foodie TV. That's F-O-O-D-Y TV dot TV. And the name of the, the show is Homegrown Cuisine. So if you put that in, actually, if you put that in the browser, it will probably come up. Um, and again, the, the um, Foodie TV is a network-based um, TV show um, that is try, trying to, I, I guess it's been always on um, the computer, and they have lots of cooking shows. This is the first one that brings the gardening side of the, the cooking into it, because you've got, you've got to grow the stuff. Uh, you know, how many people, for instance, know how to... How, how to tell whether your carrot is ripe or not, uh, or ready for harvest. You, you've got that, that 30 days or, or 50 days or whatever it is that the packet says it's going to be ready. But nature, as we mentioned earlier, can throw curveballs. So how do you know whether it's ready or not? I mean, you could just kind of pull one up um, or you could... Um, you know, have better get better gauges. So, you know, that, that we're going to talk about that, plus how to, um, how to prepare it in the kitchen. As, as well. So it's going, going to be a from, from ground, ground to dinner plate type program. And you said that's foodietv.tv? Yes. And if you've got um, Netflix, it's also one of the channels on Netflix. So I you, didn't know that. Yeah. So you can get it from there too. Again, it's this multi um, gadget. Uh, applying uh, everything so yeah it's it's a fun pro- program um and again you could, as we said people want it on their own time so you could just get um netflix up and you can watch it there and the, the sad thing is you know i said there there aren't that you can count probably garden shows on one hand yet there are two full channels on network tv on cooking 
I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, where, where's the channel that's devoted to all the garden programs? Why well, can't... it used to be Home and Garden TV. HGTV had lots and lots of shows. Uh, back in the day when I, I did Landscape Solutions, there must have been at least a half a dozen or more landscape-oriented shows, plus vegetable shows. And on DIY Network, you mentioned Joe Lampels and Growing a Greener World TV, and he had a show on there. And then all of a sudden, they just all went. And all you can get in, on those shows now, as you mentioned, is cooking, and the rest of it is, you know, flip my house and things like that. But I'm, I'm, how many people on average are going to go in and buy a house and turn it around and then sell it um, compared to how many people are going to grow a garden or eat? Absolutely. Um, as as that we have often been say, saying over the last two, couple of years, um, Home and Garden TV lost its garden and just um, mm-hmm. is just the home TV now. Um, I don't know why they don't just change the name and be done with it. Uh, but, but yes, that, I mean, it is. It's a, it's a sad um, reflection on gardening is supposed to be the most popular um, hobby in the country. And you know we've got uh, even the books on the book in the bookstore. It's shrinking. The garden magazines are shrinking. Um, how are people supposed to be learning? Well, as you said, people do learn other ways. Um, they're getting their gardening information other ways. They're getting it by listening to this show and on the internet. And of course, there there is still extension service. One thing I want to caution people about stuff on the internet: know your source. There's so much bad information out there, so much outdated information. And if you want to know the total scoop, go to your um, state extension service website. Or oh, yes. you can you can write to me on the Facebook page. You can ask the question, what's a good show to listen to? Or where, what's a good source of information? And I can give you tons of recommendations for the real deal. Yes, yeah, and and I, you know, and I, I think where where people are concerned, you know, they they forget the extension office. But for instance, um, we 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 haven't mentioned the new show that I'm I'm doing. But one... I was just going to come up to oh. that because one of the things that extension does is many most extension services across the country have master gardener volunteers. And Master Gardener volunteers are specially trained by the university systems to be able to answer your gardening questions, and then they sit on the hotline. And, Kate, you have done hotline duty, as have I. Oh yes, <laughs> I've done I've done hotline duty, um, and in, in fact, um, although this isn't um, a veggie thing. Uh, we, we've mentioned several times the disastrous winter. Um, the, the hydrangeas in a lot of the country, um, they, the, particularly the, those mop head ones, they, they've got the, the big heads on them. Um, they form those flower heads on last year's wood. So right now, if you look at your hydrangea, you can see little buds in there. Those are next year's flowers. Well, what happened last year was we got a nice little, um, a long sort of winter, and I guess it, it um, things started to develop a little bit, and then we got frost, and it nipped them all and killed them all. So your average hydrangea, the mop head variety, had maybe one or two blooms on it. And what when I was last on the hotline, um, probably about six weeks ago, this lovely lady said, "My hydrangea didn't bloom, but it's lots of got lots of green on it." Um, so my neighbour said it, it might be an idea to just chop everything down and let it come up, and that will increase the blooms for next year. 
Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so don't don't believe your neighbor either. <laughs> right. So being master gardener that you are, you not only gave her the correct information, which was no, don't, yes. but you also got an idea in your head and tell me what that idea is. Well, you know, and I, and I think sometimes people, um, you know, they, they really do need to have a good, solid idea. And, and I think when, when you explain to them why, after, after you've gone over the, no, don't do that, <laughs> you know, and, and you've mentally taken the shears out of their hands, you tell them why and what to look for that is important and as i say with um taking over the the master gardener hour which is going to come up after this uh, that's the type of thing that we're going to talk about that, that i couldn't talk about on the veggies show and much as i love veggies um, and and the, the um the opportunity to take over the the hosting of the master gardener hour came up and so i said yes let's do it um so that's what we're going to do um, we, we... I am so happy that you are going to be back on America's Web Radio, and you and I will have shows back-to-back. Yes. The America's Homegrown Veggie at 10, and the Master Gardener Hour, are you going to keep that name? Oh, yes, I, I believe we are. Okay, um, we ha- have, che- have to check that with the station, but I believe we're keeping the name. Um, and actually, uh, the, first, uh, the first one we're going to do is uh, Be- Benjamin Voigt. He's going to talk about fall planting and natives uh, because th- those are so important to the, the habitat. Um, and then we're going to do a couple on, on um, bulbs. And then when we go towards Christmas, we're going to do the same thing as I did with the American homegrown veggies. We're going to to do Christmas lists, things that people think would be good for Christmas gifts for your gardening friend or that you want on your list uh, for gardening. And I think, uh, you know, and that will then take us into the, the new year where we're going to maybe talk about visiting your public garden um, in, in the middle of winter. Trust me, they're beautiful and nobody else is there. Um, and, and conservatories that are all over the country in, in different gardens, uh, like Pittsburgh Conservatory, uh, beautiful, the Phipps Conservatory there. Um, Chicago's got one, well worth going uh, to visit in the middle of winter. And as I say, nobody else is there. It's lovely. <laughs> so you'll be telling people um, in next, in next winter what places that they can go and visit and I assume you'll tell them where they are and, and the hours and everything like that. Well, Kate, I am just absolutely delighted to have you back with America's Web Radio. I wish you very much success with your show. It's going to be fun, it's been, and it's been fun working with you today. I really have enjoyed that, too. Yes, and it de- debuts uh, November 5th, right? No. The, uh, the no. This coming weekend, that should, yes. That should be today. Yes, that should be the yes. Yeah. Thank um, you so much for being with me, Kate. Okay, well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure, as always, to talk to you, Daryl. Thank you. That's all the time we have this week, but I'll be back next week with America's Homegrown Veggie Show. We'll see you next week. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.